Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Welcome, everybody, to our Tuesday night Torah class. So it's nice of you to all be here. It's been a great day. The weather is decidedly cooler, and I like that. I'm not in a hurry for summer to get here. So why don't you let me open in prayer? Father God, just thank you very much for uh, being with us today and tonight. Thank you for this group of people that came out to look at your Torah. And I'd ask that you'd uh, help us tonight as we're going through these uh, different uh, offerings that are defined in Leviticus. Help us to just understand a little more clearly um, how important this is to you. And help us to understand how we can uh, somehow or another uh, do the equivalent things in our life and our society today. In Yahushua's name, amen. So thanks, everybody, for being here. Let's see, I, I, as you probably can tell, I like this picture because I have it a lot. So um, do you remember this talks about how Leviticus is laid out in this chiastic structure? And we're in the upper left there, and we're talking about the first seven chapters. And so um, last week we went through, see, it says up there, what does it say about them? Um, ritual sacrifices. So the first... The first part of the, of the chiasm starts with ritual sacrifices, and there's going to be something that kind of mirrors that at the end of the book, and it's over on the other side over here, uh, ritual feasts. But anyway, we, were, we went through these sacrifices. We remember what, uh, in Hebrew, the word is korban, and does anybody remember what korban actually means, or one of the major meanings of korban? Korban means to draw near. It's the... Uh, to draw near? <laughs> thank you, Mike. It means to draw near, which is... Uh, I, uh, somehow, I don't understand myself exactly how uh, these animal sacrifices are the way to draw near, although I'm beginning to catch on a little bit more. Uh, it's got to do with the fact that uh, in, in order for a perfectly holy God to have communion with sinful people... Somebody has to pay the penalty for their sin. And God has uh, established a system where animals can die in place of us so that we can have our communion restored with him. That's kind of a... I'm, I guess I'm trying to wrap my mind around that, but I'm pretty sure that's the, the main reason for this. Anyway, we went through... We were going through these and, and discovering what they were. And we went through... Let's see, there's five of them. We went through the first three... Um, does anybody remember the first three that were described in the early chapters of Leviticus? What's the first uh, offering that was talked about? Olah. It's the Korban Olah, which is the burnt offering. And uh, does anybody remember, what's what's unique about the burnt offering? I like to ask questions like that. Completely All burnt? Of it. Yeah, it's completely burnt. That's the unique thing about it. The next one was the, it's called the Korban Minka. 
Remember what that one was? The grain offering. It was the one that had to, it was the only one that doesn't deal with the death of an animal. And it's a grain offering. The grain offering um, is, uh, uh, it typically goes along with one of the animal offerings. Um, it, it's uh, where you can, you present the Lord a, uh, a small portion of uh, some pure, finely ground flour, either in, in its raw form or uh, baked in different kinds of, baked and cooked in different forms. Um, and then the third one we talked about was which one? Fellowship offering. The fellowship offering is sometimes called the peace offering. Uh, what's another name for it? Fellowship offering, peace offering. I don't know. It's the one that's the, the most festive of the, of the five. It's got to do with uh, um, you've, you've taken care of the sin, you've rededicated your life to God, and now you can sit down, if you will, and have an, uh, a, a feast with Him, an enjoyable meal. And so the, the peace offering is uh, in commemoration of reestablishing peace with God. Uh, I mean, you know, you, we know about these things. They're ingrained in all of our lives and our society. Um, I, I often think about the fact that whenever you die, you, you need to make sure you have made peace with God, right? Many people don't. So we stopped um, at this third one because we were out of time and we got into some interesting little rabbit trails, which are always fun. But now we're in chapter 4. Chapter 4 of Leviticus, and this is the fourth offering. So this is a rather long chapter, but it's, uh, it's, it's laid out in a very straightforward fashion, so we ought to be able to figure this out. I'm going to start, and then I'll get someone else to read. And the main reason I want to start is because we're going to immediately go on a rabbit trail here. Uh, my, my version starts off, verse, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says, Yahweh said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of Yahweh's commands, okay, the, the word there is unintentionally. That's the one I want to talk about. So I, I've, I've struggled with this a lot. Certainly on the, the face of it, an unintentional, another word is inadvertently. Unintentionally sins or inadvertently sins, um, you know, indicates that it's something that's been done accidentally. It's not something that was done on purpose. Um, and so these, this sin offering then is for, uh, for us, if you will, for believers whenever they've inadvertently sinned. Now, there's two ways you could inadvertently sin, in my mind. One way is, is uh, you commit some infraction that you didn't even know about. You didn't even know you did it. You know, um, and so that's certainly an inadvertent and in, unintentional sin. Another one is one that kind of caught you by surprise or off guard. Like uh, one of the ways you can uh, can be in sin is whenever you come in contact with a dead a dead person. All right, that could something that can happen totally by accident. Right? You weren't looking where you're going. You tripped over a dead guy. I don't know. The point is, is uh, some of these inadvertent things could be, you, knew, you now know that you're 
contaminated, if you will, that you're in a state of sin, but you didn't do it on purpose. It was something that happened to you accidentally. So to me, there's kind of like two inadvertents. One inadvertent, you did it and don't even know you did it. And the other one is you did it and you didn't know it was coming. It was a surprise. It kind of got you. So I wanted to talk about that for a few minutes because most of what we talk about here in Leviticus, hi, I'm glad you came. Most of what we talk about in Leviticus are these uh, offerings for inadvertent or unintentional sin. So I struggled with this for a long time, and I wanted to take you to uh, Numbers chapter 15. So go to Numbers chapter 15 with me. So Numbers chapter 15, one of the reasons I like my nearly inspired version of the Bible is it's got little paragraph headings, you know. My, and right under verse 22 in chapter 15, it says, offerings for unintentional sins. So this idea of unintentional sins is, it's, this is not the first or the last time we're going to see this. It might be the first time. It's not the last time. So let me read just a few verses down to verse 31 of there, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, it says, this is God talking, of course. Now, if you unintentionally fail to keep any of these commands that Yahweh gave Moses any of the Lord's commands to you through him from the day that Yahweh gave them and continuing through the generations to come. If this is done unintentionally, without the community being aware of it, then the whole community is to offer a bull for a burnt offering as an aroma pleasing to Yahweh along with its prescribed grain offering and drink offering and a male goat for a sin offering. The priest is to make atonement for the whole Israelite community and they will be forgiven. For it was not intentional and they have brought to Yahweh, and they have brought to, Yah, to Yahweh for their wrong an offering made by fire, a sin offering. The holy Israelite community and the aliens living among them will be forgiven because all the people were involved in the unintentional wrong. But if just one person sins unintentionally, then he must bring a year old female goat for a sin offering. The priest is to make atonement before Yahweh for the one who erred in sinning unintentionally. And when atonement has been made for him, he will be forgiven. One and the same law applies to everyone who sins unintentionally, whether he is native-born Israelite or alien. And verse 30 says, But if anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or alien, blasphemes Yahweh, and that person must be cut off from his people because he has despised Yahweh's word and broken his commands. That person must surely be cut off. His guilt remains on him. So, to me, this did a pretty fair job of explaining the difference between unintentional sin or inadvertent sin, I think they're considered the same, and what he calls here defiant sin. So, I want to talk about that for a while. What, John? I have a bad joke. Okay. <laughs> no, I like your bad jokes. So the Hebrew word for this un unintentional sin is shigaga. Shigaga? Shigaga. Okay. So maybe that's where Lady Gaga got her name? Ah, it could be. That's, you're right. That's a bad joke. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I did kind of look up that word, uh, the Hebrew word um, for defiantly sinning, it, it, it says it's a graphic word, and it describes it. You know, you can almost imagine somebody shaking their fist. And I've, I've actually had people kind of, you know, describe themselves that way. They're out in their backyard shaking their fist at God. Well, if that's not defiant, I don't know what is, 
right? So um, I, I, the only reason I say that is because um, the thing that's not actually mentioned here but is part of this whole thing is repentance. You know, if, if your sin is brought to your attention, whether you sin intentionally or not, and you repent, God honors that. If it's, if it's, not, you know, if it's not just, kind of, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, if it's a true heartfelt, I realize now that I was wrong, and I'm sorry, and I, and I turn from it, and I won't, I won't go that way again. That's, that's okay. I shouldn't say that's okay. That's recognition, and that you're, you're no longer in defiance. When you're in defiance is whenever you say, yes, that was wrong, I know it was wrong, and I don't care. So the, it's, it's all about heart attitude. And then, I don't know, that kind of, I'm still a little bit unsettled about all of that, but it makes me feel better about this uh, unintentional sin. So I'm interested in other people's opinions. Mark has an opinion. I can tell by the fact that he's looking at me. <laughs> so this... Chicago. Uh -huh. one of the definitions in the lexicon, it says, the inability of this system to provide a sacrifice, even for the presumptuous sin, points to the way of a better sacrifice that is found in Messiah Yeshua. So I like what you pointed out is, you can think of it as, you know, when, when those of us who are doing, we're trying to follow the Torah, and we missed the mark, it wasn't though as though we knew what it was, we're going, look, God, I'm going to do this. That's premeditated. Mm -hmm. That's like premeditated murder, mm -hmm. okay? So when, you're, when you're, you're going to sin and you're doing it because you want to uh, get at Abba and rub it in his face, mm -hmm. that's a whole different ballgame than the person who just, I mean, he, I mean, we all know it's a sin, but we are overcome by the temptation or, you know, like the 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 uh, Avinu says, do not lead, do not give us into the hand of the test. So that's when it's just it, it's unintentional, even because it sounds like unintentional. It sounds like, well, I didn't mean to do it. Well, that's not what it really means. Mm -hmm. It means that I knew there was a sin, but I, I was overcome by the temptation of it. That's different than the person shaking his fist at God. Yes, that's a good point. That's a good point. As a matter of fact, that calls to me that, uh, that passage that Paul writes in Romans about how, you know, the, the, the thing that I don't do is the very thing that I, end, I don't want to do is the very thing that I end up doing. And those things that I want to do, I don't do. And that's what it is. It's, 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 uh, the defiance aspect of it has to do, if you ask me, with basically telling God, I realize that this is what you want and I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm, like you say, sticking it to you, thumbing your nose at him. Now, God, you know, God being God's not going to accept that, and I don't blame him. <laughs> John? Well, we shouldn't accept it either as a community because ultimately it's going to break down. You have no law. It's lawless. That's, that's a very good point. And he explains that in pretty much detail, doesn't he? Right. Yeah. So, so this seems like sedition to me. It's, it's, it's a, or, or tyranny, or not tyranny, but... Uh, Oh, Sedition is a good word. It's uh, yeah, it's kind of undermining. Right, treason is the word I was thinking of. Okay. Um, but you had something else. But you're having a senior moment. Yeah, I'm trying to think what it was. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> I 
<laughs> it ruined, ruined everything, huh? Let's see if I can jog your memory. Because if you, I can springboard off what you said. It was really transitional and gave good words because I didn't think of the word sedition. But um, like, when, like that passage, I heard a teaching recently um, for what Paul was going through in, in Romans 7, I mm -hmm. guess it is, um, that this, so being a Pharisee of Pharisees, right, and, and growing up or being raised and taught in the oral teachings mm -hmm. um, or the Talmud, um, he, there, he was recognizing that what his sins were ignorant. He was participating in this Pharisaic law in a way that he was forgiven because mm -hmm. it was in an unintentional because that always kind of bothered me. It's like, what do you mean you didn't know you were sinning or mm -hmm. you were killing these people? Mm -hmm. um, but the difference is the sedition. It's those who intentionally behind the, behind the oral law and the um, Talmudic teachings and the Pharisaic things that were going on that were the brood of vipers that he was addressing, Yahusha, mm -hmm. um, was the sedition. And then it brings a lot of light. Like the things that are really coming clear right now is that it's all there. All this whole sedi the sedition that has been there since the beginning is all through the word. But we've been innocent to it. Mm -hmm. We haven't understood it, mm -hmm. so we haven't picked up on a lot of it. But but the things that we're being addressed that we've been confused about, like the um, like being under the law had to do with being under the oral law. Mm -hmm. And so when we pick, well now when we look at it, we can pick it apart. There wasn't a distinct word, but we can start hearing what was written mm -hmm. and what was heard mm -hmm. in the New Covenant teachings, right? Yeah. And then um, being able to distinguish throughout, like even what we're going through here in Leviticus and Numbers then, is being able to see that the warnings were there yeah. to not deviate. Yeah, that's a good point, that's a good point. I, I, as you were talking, I was uh, thinking I spend far more time than's probably healthy just kind of feeling bad about what's happening to our current society. And I see that same kind of sedition, if you will. It's, it's, it's gone beyond the point of uh, um, it's wrong for me. It's, it's to the point now, it's wrong and I want everybody to accept me anyway. I want everyone to make it right. I want everyone to look at it as if it were right because of me. I mean, it's shaking your fist. Yeah. Go for it. The other thing we talked about earlier about software, you know, it's easier to fix problems early on in the process. Unit yep. testing I was talking about. You know, that's good because you know, you know, you, don't, you shouldn't be upset that your program failed. You should figure out why it failed and fix it early. Fix it. Yeah. And so if you don't, if you just think, oh, I don't need to worry about this stuff, you know, well, it's gonna, it's gonna bite you in the end. So these, these, the point of these sacrifices, the way, the way I look at it is, it's pointing out to you that you, you need, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna be happy with this yeah. solution. You need yeah. to fix it. Yeah. So fix it. Yeah. Well, what the, the, he, he even said, if you don't, if you don't take care of these things, they'll become thorns in your flesh, right? They'll, yeah. I was trying to find the verse where you said the person was to be cut off from his people. What verse was that in? Um, it was in Numbers. It was Numbers uh, chapter 15, um, verse 31, actually. 
because he has despised Yahweh's word and broken his commands, that person must surely be cut off and his guilt remains on him. Anyway, I wanted to get that out because if we don't talk about it, it, it kind of undermines what we're doing here. We need, to, we need to at least have some kind of an understanding. I think maybe what Mark said, at least the, the idea of inadvertent or unintentional is a little bit misleading because it's, uh, you know, it, it, it indicates that you just didn't have any idea. And the truth of the matter is you probably did have an idea. You just succumbed. The main thing is, is don't ever call what God called evil good. Even if you do the evil, don't call it good because it's not. Yeah. Well, to offer a sacrifice for unintentional sin is to recognize and seek exactly. forgiveness for it. That's a Whereas good point. if you choose to cover it over, mm -hmm. He used the analogy of code. Sometimes code could be written mm -hmm. so that the bad code is not taken out. But let's write something on top of it mm -hmm. that's kind of like a patch, and mm -hmm. we just cover it over, mm -hmm. and we'll keep covering over. Mm -hmm. And there's always this backdoor loophole that can bring you problems yep. later yep. on, as opposed to if you just decide to, wait a minute, let's acknowledge that's, that yep. this is here, yep. and we need to rewrite this or correct it, correct it yeah. so that it's not there. Don't be oh. a hack. Don't be a hack. Uh, okay. Anyway, I'm glad we did that. Um, let's go on then with chapter 4 of Leviticus. And somebody, if somebody would like to read, um, yeah, let's see, the silly thing is, that's well, only about 36 verses. We're going to go back and dismember it. It's got a lot of repetitiveness in it, but someone would like to read from verse 3 to the end of the chapter. Mike's got something first, though. No, I was going to read. Oh, you're going to read. That's, oh, that's great. Verse 3? Start with verse 3 because we did the first two verses. Oh, okay. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, then he shall bring to Yahweh for his sin, which he has sinned, a young bull, a perfect one, as a sin offering. And he shall bring the bull to the door of the tent of appointment before Yahweh, and shall lay his hand on the bull's head and slay the bull before Yahweh. And the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tent of appointment. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before Yahweh in front of the veil of the set-apart place. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the slaughter place of sweet incense before Yahweh, which is in the tent of appointment, and pour all the blood of the bull at the base of the slaughter place of the ascending offering, which is at the door of the tent of appointment. Then he takes all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the loins, and the appendage on the liver, which he removes with the kidneys." as it was taken from the bull of the slaughtering of peace offering. And the priest shall burn them on the slaughter place of the ascending offering, but the skin of the bull and all its flesh with its head and legs, its entrails and dung, all of the bull he shall bring outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it is burned. And if the entire congregation of Israel strays by mistake 
and the matter has been hidden from the eyes of the assembly, and they have done against any of the commands of Yahweh which are not to be done and shall be guilty. When the sin which they have sinned becomes known, then the assembly shall bring a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tent of appointment. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before Yahweh, and the bull shall be slain before Yahweh, and the appointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tent of appointment. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before Yahweh in front of the veil, and put some of the blood on the horns of the slaughter place, which is before Yahweh, which is in the tent of appointment, and pour all the blood at the base of the slaughter place of ascending offering, which is at the door of the tent of appointment. Then he takes all the fat from it and shall burn it on the slaughter place, and he shall do with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering. So shall he do it, and the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. And he shall bring the bull outside the camp and burn it as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. When a ruler sins and by mistake has done against any of the commands of Yahweh, his Elohim, which are not to be done, and shall be guilty, or if his sin which he has sinned is made known to him, and he shall bring as his offering a buck of the goats, a male, a perfect one, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and slay it at at the place where they slay the ascending offering before Yahweh. It is a sin offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and shall put it on the horns of the slaughter place of ascending offering and pour its blood at the base of the slaughter place of ascending offering and burn all its fat on the slaughter place like the the fat of the slaughtering of the peace offering and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin and it shall be forgiven him. And if any being of the people of the land sins by mistake by doing against any of the commands of Yahweh which are not to be done and shall be guilty, or if his sin which he has sinned shall be made known to him, then he shall bring as an offering a female goat, a perfect one, for his sin which he has sinned. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slay the sin offering at the place of the ascending offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood with its, his finger and shall put it on the horns of the slaughter place of ascending offering and pour all the blood at the base of the slaughter place. Then remove all its fat, as fat is removed from the slaughtering of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn it on the slaughter place for a sweet fragrance to Yahweh, and the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. And if he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he brings a female, a perfect one. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slay it as a sin offering at the place where the, they slay the ascending offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and shall put it on the horns of the slaughter place of ascending offering and pour all the blood at the base of the slaughter place. Then he removes all its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the slaughtering of the of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn it on the slaughter place according to the fire offering of Yahweh. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin, that he has sinned, and it shall be forgiven him. Okay. Now that, it, if that sounds or feels repetitive, it's because it is. But 
if you go back and you look at it carefully, that's, you, know, you really have to study God's Word, right? Uh, you can see that in verse 3, it starts off by saying, if the anointed priest sins. So this is the, the next, the rest of this paragraph is about what, what uh, the sin offering for uh, the sin of an anointed priest. Then if you go to verse 13, it says, if the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally. So this next paragraph is all about the sin offering for the, the sin of the whole Israelite nation. And then verse 22 says, when a leader sins. So that paragraph is for the leader. And then verse 27 says, when a member of the community sins. And so that paragraph is for the member of the community. So there's, uh, and you'll notice that each one of those is different primarily in what's offered. The priest and the whole community or the whole nation, their offering is what? It's a bull. It's a bull. The bull is the most expensive, if you will, the most expensive offering. So then the, what's the offering for the leader, a leader amongst Israelites? It's a male goat. Okay. And then how about uh, just a normal old Joe, an old guy, right? What's the offering for him? It's either a female goat or a lamb. Okay, so the offering to be offered depends on the social level, if you will, of the person whose sin offering you're making. And you, like I say, it wasn't obvious to me when I first read that. I had to go through and say, why does this stuff look like it's all saying the same thing? But it's not. They're all different. Um, any thoughts about that? Let's see if I had something I wanted to say about that. I just had a question. Um, what would what would be a sin of ignorance for the whole congregation? It seems like um, like when they're hurting along and everybody just follows. <laughs> I bet John's got one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's essentially it. Yeah. Yeah. Mob psychology, so to speak. Well, I thought that was part of the Yom Kippur. That fair. Because if, if you don't know, you don't know. How are you going to rectify something you don't know? Well, but it, but it says, and they become aware of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, let, I, let's read up, but I'm pretty sure it does that. It's, I had a good answer until you blew it up. <laughs> Sorry about that. So I'm wondering. When they become aware of it, verse 14. When they become aware of it, yeah. You'll see in... in um, several places in Scripture, they'll make this statement, you have brought sin upon us all. Yeah. One of them that comes to mind is uh, when the Benjamites' concubine gets ravished and killed during the night, um, the guilt falls upon the whole tribe of Benjamin. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole congregation of that tribe. Yep. So I'm wondering if that's one of the ones we're talking about here. They certainly didn't know what happened, until he cut her to pieces and sent him out to the whole nation. Yeah. yeah. John's got, oh, go ahead. You got, I'm glad. I'm glad you guys got stuff to say. Well, <clears throat> um, I was with the bull offering the, being the most expensive, it seems to be um, 
in relations to the proximity to God that you be in. So mm-hmm. if you were the priest, mm-hmm. it would kind of make sense that if you're closest to God, in quotations, mm-hmm. uh, that it would be um, appropriate that it would uh, the, the most yep there would be an, the most immediate impact. Yep, in, if you will, I agree with that. I'll take another stab. Good. So what happens, let's say if someone brought a salad for the congregation, and everybody had, this is great salad. Then you find out later, is that bacon bits? Right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know those were bacon bits. Yeah, okay. Or, or, or what? <laughs> it was kosher pig. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Um, <laughs> Isn't there a, an example of a you find a dead man out in the in between two cities? Yep. yep. And so the the guilty mm-hmm. city is the one who's the one that's closest, closest to it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's there's right. another example. There's another example. Well, okay. So what happens? Like, do does the nation need to be made known? Does the community need to know? Um, can a, can the sacrifice or the, the prayer, in our case, atonement, be made without bringing um, attention to it immediately? Or how? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, the thing, when you guys were talking about it, the thing that, that came to my mind is, uh, again, I, I kind of hate to do this because it makes me, I, I feel like I'm kind of out on thin ice. But if the whole nation, oh, maybe I can do it historically and do a little better. The whole nation at one point in time decided that, at least the way we instituted it, slavery was wrong, okay? And so we did away with slavery. Now, you could make the argument that from God's perspective, it was wrong. Certainly the way, the way it was being implemented back in uh, 18th century America, it was wrong, you know? Um, and so th- the fact that they did away with that and abolished slavery could be considered, in my opinion, kind of the idea that uh, the whole nation has sinned. We now know that we've sinned and we've corrected the problem. I mean, I was going to go back and make the comment about, you know, whenever uh, uh, God comes to Cain and says, uh, what happened to your brother Abel? And Cain gives him this wonderful answer. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Right? And, you know, what I've learned through the Torah is the answer to that question is, yes, you are. Right? We all have a responsibility to our brothers. And the whole, it, it's us that's responsible, each of us individually. I mean, you've heard the statement, you know, all it takes for uh, things to go wrong is for one person not to stand up and say what you're doing is wrong. So we are liable. We are all guilty. And so there are many opportunities. We've, I miss them all the time where I can stand up and say, look, what, you're, what we're, do, we're doing here is wrong. So I don't know. I think, I think it applies a lot much more often than we'd like to think. So what I meant is, do so then are we liable to bring it up so that there can be, so that this is not an unaware, unintentional yeah. sin? Yep. And then, um, and then it sounds like, even like when you look at slavery, it t- mm-hmm. there's a time period of adjustment because yep. there's people that fight the concept. Yep. And, and so um, do you think that it might be wise that we actually... Um, spend some time as our congregation 
exposing those things and discussing those things, even if it takes time mm -hmm. for us to come to whatever place, we can begin to pray and then also make those prayers for the rest of the community that we can make that progress. Yep. I, I do. I do. I believe that. And, and like I say, I'm for someone that believes that, I sure don't act much like it, but I do. Yeah. I guess there are times when if you see something that's, that's wrong and you don't call it out and you know that it's wrong, that other person might not know that it's yeah might not know might not care yeah a lot of times then that sin usually is on your head because you didn't you didn't yeah. speak out yeah. they talk about that a lot with respect yeah. to nazi germany yeah because mm -hmm. a, a few people who were truly evil ended up controlling everything right. because the vast majority of the people weren't willing to stand up and say wait what you're doing is wrong or what is it we're doing yeah. is wrong sin that's an important yeah. issue. I struggle with that a lot because it's hard to know where to draw the line in terms of our responsibility to the greater whole. But that's part of community. Part of community is that we are and all in some sense responsible for everybody, each of us yeah. responsible for the others. There, there are times though when, when somebody is going through a difficult situation and they're behaving in such a way, losing it, mentally or whatever. Mm -hmm. They totally lose it, go Daffy Duck. Um, and it's like, you know, are they temporarily insane? Yeah. Because something happened, yeah. and so they do things that... And a lot of times I know I've held back, I've held back from telling someone that was wrong, just pointed it out, because I know they're going through something that yeah. I don't really understand oh, what here, all here. they're going through. Help. I'm, so, I'm with you. I, I'm probably the worst yeah. in terms of just, you know, I, I just want to leave. <laughs> I don't want to get involved. Well, you know? yeah. there's times you can't leave, though. Well, I know. <laughs> you're you're I, part I of the you. group. <laughs> the, this, it's, I think it's just yeah. stuff for us to think about. It's yeah. stuff for us to realize that we, like I say, it's not, we're not islands here. Yeah. We, we, we're in this together. I would, I would think. I, I think oftentimes a lot of the stuff that happens during war, mm-hmm, during difficult times like that, when you're when you're faced with a situation, you got to make a decision now. You can't wait. Yeah. That, you know, it's, um, and I think, a lot of that stuff that, um, a lot of the military goes through, military people go through, it stays with them yeah. and it haunts them. Yeah. So, um, I don't know what we could do about that. I guess. I don't either. That, I, I, like it's you know, situational. Is it situational? I don't well, know. The, yeah. the God's word's true, and it's not yeah. necessarily situational. Yeah. yeah. So. So the way that those things are walked out here uh, is we have a bet dean or judges within our fellowship that. First, we're supposed to go to the person, if it's an individual thing, and say, because our, our goal is, like the scripture teaches us, to save that person from continuing to err. We don't want them to continually transgress because we're wanting to help them. Not because we're wanting to go, oh, look, I get to point out your fault. That's the wrong way to do it. The right way to do it is to say, hey, I want to help my brother because they're missing the mark here. Uh, and so it, it should be done in love. It should be done discreetly. It should be done, you know, so that embarrassment, you know, to, to protect the person as well. 
But if it's a corporate thing, it comes to uh, Jerry, John, or Ralphie. They're the judges. And then they will uh, adjudicate it righteously and, and, and get it taken care of. So that's how it's walked out here. One of the things that Mark mentioned was about the Benjamite situation where the woman had been attacked and killed and he cut her up into several pieces. When it was brought to the attention, correct me if I'm wrong, they asked to hand over the people who had done this. Well, the nation said no. So that's when it's brought to your attention, you have an opportunity to acknowledge, well, wait a minute, we will get to the bottom of this and find out for the whole body or the congregation. But if you say no or you try to cover it up or you want to, then that's when the judgment came upon them as a larger group. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. It's amazing how some of this stuff is just real practical today, isn't it? I didn't say that. Joni. You did say that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess I really, even more so from what you said, Mark, is like I really would like to emphasize, I'd like us to have a time when we can like bring these things up and then discuss how or with whom or how do we address them mm -hmm. because it's imperative. Mm -hmm. I mean, even from what you're saying, what you just said, is if we don't address it, now we're culpable. Yep. And so, you know, I, I personally feel I'm in that position. Like mm -hmm. there's things that are obvious that need to be addressed. Yep. And so, you know, I really want to. Well, I think that's, uh, that's good. And I applaud you. And, I, and I'll work with you. Okay, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay, that's the, the fourth of these prescribed offerings. Let's look at the fifth one. Um, yeah, go ahead, Mark. So in, in, in leading a community for 15 years and watching this process be done uh, quite a few times, what can happen and sometimes does happen is if we have, as a, as a family, as a people, we're all here committed to one another. Uh, we have to have trust and faith in the leadership that they're walking and they're going to do things righteously. And so what sometimes happens, a person has such a, they've bought into their idea of something so much that when the three judges look it out in scripture and and maybe they decide we don't see this here and meet with a the person they get so upset that they're not going to see it their way uh, that they don't even want to talk about it anymore because the, the bet dean wants to now okay help us to understand from your perspective what you're seeing and so the person ends up leaving because it's not being handled the way they want it to be done when in reality we should say look I trust in your judgment and if, if we come together at the table and if you, you see it a way I don't see it. Help me to see it. Let's, let's come together and let's, let's walk this out together. Yes. What, it turns out that this next chapter continues this discussion. So maybe I can get someone to read chapter 5. 
down through verse 13, the first 13 verses of chapter 5. Chapter 5, did I say that? If you sin by not providing information after hearing a public solemn pledge, even though you are a witness, knowing something or having seen something so that you become liable to punishment, or by touching some unclean thing, the dead body of an unclean wild animal, unclean livestock, or unclean swarming creature, but the fact goes unknown so that you become unclean and guilty of sin. Or by touching a human uncleanliness, any uncleanliness that makes one unclean, and the fact goes unknown, but you later learn of it and become guilty of sin. Or by carelessly swearing to do something, whether bad or good, whether one might swear carelessly and the fact goes unknown, but you later learn of it and become guilty of sin concerning one of these things. Now at that point, when you have become guilty of sin in one of these ways, you must confess how you have sinned and bring to the Lord as a compensation for the sin that was committed. A female from the flock, either a sheep or a goat, as a purification offering. The priest will then make reconciliation for you to remove your sin. Now, if you can't afford an animal from the flock, you can bring to the Lord as compensation for your sin two doves or two pigeons, one as a purification offering and the other as an entirely burnt offering. You will bring them to the priest who will first present the one for the purification offering. He will pinch off its head and the back of its neck without splitting it. When he will sprinkle some of the blood of the purification offering on the side of the altar, the rest of the blood will be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a purification offering. Then, with the second bird, the priest will perform an entirely burned offering according to the regulation. In this way, the priest will make reconciliation for you because of the sin you committed and you will be forgiven. If you cannot afford two doves or two pigeons, you can bring as the offering for your sin a tenth of an ephod of choice flour as a purification offering. You must not put away oil, put any oil on it, nor any frankincense, because it is a purification offering. You will bring it to the priest, and the priest will take a handful from it, the token portion and will burn it completely on the altar along with the food gifts for the Lord. It is a purification offering. Now in this way, the priest will make reconciliation for you, whichever one of the sins you committed, and you will be forgiven. The rest of the offering will belong to the priests, like the grain offering. Okay, so interesting, right? It, it talks about some of the things we just talked about, about... Uh, some of the ways you can sin, like uh, uh, he doesn't speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something that he's seen or learned about. That's, that's a sin, it says here. Um, touching ceremonially unclean things is a sin. Um, thoughtlessly taking an oath, right? Mike. 
Can you explain that first verse? The mind says, <clears throat> when a being sins in that he has heard the voice of swearing and is a witness or has seen or has known, is that just talking about something that he saw happen and he doesn't speak up? Yep. That's, my, that's the way I take it. Mine says, if a person sins because he does not speak up, when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. So, you know, uh, if, if you were there and you saw it and you refused to tell what you saw, are you, worse yet, like my case, just turn around and go the other direction, that's a sin. If, you, if you're being asked to shed light on what happened because you saw it and you refused to do so, I can see that, yeah. So being, it's King James, it's so, the, the Hebrew is nephesh. I don't know why it says that. Why doesn't it say ish or isha or something, you know, a man or something? The soul, huh? Well, nephesh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, I'll, I'll be darned. Interesting. So if, I'm just thinking here, I'll throw it off the top of my head. Um, if you don't, you have a responsibility, if you see something, to do something about it, right? Yeah. Is that You observe the sin. So... I would look at that as you have an office to hold, right? Yeah. A citizen of the of the uh, of the congregation has a he has a because he, he has a responsibility to yeah. do that. Yeah. What's the fancy word? If you don't do your office, that's what is that? Nonfeasance. Yeah. So. Yeah. I like your fancy words. Oh, um, go ahead. I was just going to say that it, it parallels with the, the watchman not giving warning. Uh, yes. So it would fall, yes. the blood would be on his head versus... Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, like I say, I think it, it, it's not near as cut and dry as a lot of times people seem to think it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think the uh, word that John was looking for was malfeasance. Malfeasance. Yeah. Okay. Um, but um, it's... Um, that's okay. Doesn't happen to me ever. <laughs> um, you'll notice it goes on to talk about um, the uh, if he can't afford a lamb, then he can bring two turtle doves. And if he can't afford the doves, he's allowed to even bring uh, wheat or flour, which is pretty unusual. But so I guess let me put it this way. First of all, you have to be awfully poor not to be able to afford a couple of doves or pigeons, all right, because they weren't expensive. So um, you'd have to be in pretty bad shape not to be able to do that. But God has provided a way for you to remove, have your sin removed, even if you're that poor. So even if you're that poor, don't come to God empty-handed. That's a good way right? to put it, yep. By the way, I wanted to take a, a minor little side note here. I was actually feeling a little bad because none of us knew what the crop of a bird was. And uh, I looked it up. And it's, uh, it's this part, it's a, they've got a kind of a sack in their neck. And uh, they, a lot of time they'll, if you look, sometimes it looks like birds are eating pebbles. And that, that's in there. It's a digestive thing. So whenever they eat stuff, some of the stuff they eat is kind of hard to digest and it sits in there. It's also the place, you know, many birds feed their young by regurgitating. That's usually where the, the stuff comes from. So 
A crop is a part of the digestive system that sit in the bird's neck. It's not this. I, I got to say that Ward had the answer to that uh -huh. when we were... Is that right? Figured, yeah, he okay. came up and... He said, yeah. He said, well, Ward's the farmer of the group. Yeah. Okay. So he, he, he we, we're going to do, do really great on our own since we can't tell what part of a bird a crop is. <laughs> Mark's got something. So does a chicken have a crop? Yeah. That answers whether it's clean or unclean. Does it now? Well, you said it's where they re regurgitate and refeed their young. Yep. So, it, okay. It's a ruminant, so to speak. That's true. Okay. Want to go on? Yeah, all birds have it. So, I, but yeah, I guess that's that's a good point. I don't know. I'm not. I actually don't want to go there. I was only going to make the remark that I was feeling good because I figured out what a crop was. Because I, I got to thinking about that. I don't know whether whether eagles have crops, for example. I don't know either. But that might be a good way to tell whether or not it's a that's a clean bird. Anyway, definite rabbit trail. Um, can of worms, yeah. <laughs> Would somebody like to read verse or chapter 5, starting at verse 14, and since they put the chapter break in a weird place, to read through chapter 6, verse 7. So 5, 14 through 6, 7. Hi, Alfonso. Look who walked in just in time. Yes. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, When a being commits a trespass and has sinned by mistake against the Kodesh matters of Yahuwah, then he shall bring to Yahuwah as his guilt offering a realm, a perfect one, from the flock, with your valuation in shekels of silver according to the shekels of the Kodesh place as a guilt offering. And he shall make good for the sin that he has done against that which is Kodesh and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the Kohen. And the Kohen shall make atonement for him with the realm of the guilt offering. And it shall be forgiven him. And when any being sins and has done what is not to be done, any of the commands of Yahuwah, though he knew it not, Yet he shall be guilty and shall bear his wickedness. Then he shall bring to the Kohen a ram, a perfect one, from the flock, with your evaluation as a guilt offering. And the Kohen shall make atonement for his mistake he committed unintentionally, though he did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a guilt offering. He was truly guilty before Yahuwah. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, when any being sins and committed a trespass against Yahuwah and has lied to his neighbor about a deposit or about a pledge or about a robbery or shall extort from his neighbor or has found what was lost and has lied concerning it or sworn falsely so that he sins in regard to any one of all these that a man does, then it shall be when he sins and shall be guilty that he shall return what he took by robbery or what he has extorted, or the deposit which was deposited with him, or the lost item which he found, or all that about which he swore falsely, he shall repay its total value, add one-fifth more to it, 
and give it to whom it belongs on the day of his guilt offering. Then he shall he brings his guilt offering to Yahweh, a ram, a perfect one, from the flock, with your valuation, as a guilt offering to the Kohen. And the Kohen shall make atonement for him before Yahweh, and he shall be forgiven for whatever he did that made him guilty. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So that's that's the description of the fifth the fifth uh was that me? Or was that you? That was the description. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I wish there was a better way to do this. Okay, there, it's down. That's the fifth. It didn't work. I've got malformed ears or something. Anyway, that's the fifth of the offerings. And I wanted, I have a chart that I conveniently left the little booper up there. Would you show the next slide, John? There's only one more slide. There you go. That one. So that's, the, that's a table that talks about what we've done, what we've talked about the past two weeks so far. Okay? So there's um, the five offerings that we looked at are down the left there. The first one we looked at was the burnt offering. The next one was the grain offering. Then the fellowship or the peace offering. It doesn't shouldn't of. Uh, it's or the peace offering the sin offering, and the guilt offering. So those are the five of them we just got to reading about the guilt offering. And so this is what's in them. The bird offering is a bull or a ram or a male bird, and it's totally consumed by fire. Okay. The uh, grain offering is grain, fine flour, olive oil, and incense. It can be baked bread, cakes, or wafers. It has to have salt, but no yeast or honey, and it accompanies the burnt and the peace offering. That's what the grain offering is. The fellowship or the peace offering is any animal from the herd or the flock and a variety of breads, and it's, it's a communal meal. So the, the fellowship offering is not, it's shared. It's not only shared with God and with the offerer, but with the priests and with uh, anybody the offerer wants to invite. So it's a kind of a, I, I like to call it a festive. It's a barbecue is what it is. Um, the fourth one, then, is the sin offering, which we read about mostly at the beginning of the evening. Um, it's, uh, if you're a, a high priest, it's a young bull. It should be a high priest or the whole nation. The leader gets the male, uses a male goat. A female goat or a lamb is for a commoner, and a dove or a pigeon is for the poor person, and flowers for the very poor. We just talked about that. And then the guilt offering is always a ram or a lamb. And uh, the main thing that the guilt offering has that the sin offering doesn't is restitution. What uh, Alfonso was reading is you, you need to provide, you need to pay back whoever it was you cheated out of something, what you owe him, plus 20%. Okay? Now then, this is the, the kind of the purpose of them in the third column. The burnt offering is it's a voluntary act of worship. It's atonement for sin, and it shows your devotion or your commitment to God. You want to be totally consumed, if you will, by God. Um, the grain offering is a voluntary act. It's a recognition of God's provision and His blessings, His goodness. The fellowship offering is voluntary act of worship, restoration of fellowship, uh, thanksgiving. The sin offering is not voluntary. It's mandatory, okay? Um, it's for atonement, and it's for purification. 
And the guilt offering is also mandatory and is for atonement and for restitution. Uh, and they, they happen in an order. First of all, all the offerings have got to be defect free. Don't be bringing your lame or sick animals to God. They're perfect, okay? And then the typical order is you have to take care of your sin first. So the sin offering comes first. And then the burnt offering is, if you will, it's kind of a picture of repentance. You're, you're recommitting yourself to God. You're saying, I want to be, I want total, I want you to see my total commitment. And then your peace offering, you get to, you get to enjoy God's presence again as uh, his, uh, his company, if you will, because you've taken care of your sin and you've committed yourself to follow his ways. And then if you've got the, the issues associated with guilt, that, that's also handled there. But this, that helped me a lot when I finally saw that in a kind of a total picture. So that's what we've been talking about for the past two weeks. Are there any thoughts? John? Other than the typos? I didn't recognize those. Oh, okay. Um, the one about uh, the... Let's see here. Note G, there it is. Verse 16, And he shall make amends for the harm that he hath done in the holy thing. And she'll add the fifth part to the word amends is yeh shalem uh, strong's number h7999 and that's jerusalem that's one of the words that makes up jerusalem shalem shalem yeah, yeah. which Yerushalayim. is close to shalom yeah any other thoughts about that now, this is the end of the Torah portion. So if we had been doing this one parasha per week thing, we would have been here at the end of last week. And this is a good demonstration as to why we don't do that. Or why, I should say. We have chosen not to do that so that we can make sure and cover all the material. Because I'd hate to have been right, racing through this stuff last week. Yes? Well, it looks to me that uh, Yeshua pretty much covers at least uh, at least from what we can see right now all of those re requirements yep because he's the lamb of god he is the uh, red heifer sacrifice so there's that bowl so mm -hmm. and he is the bread of life and the atonement yeah yeah so it's like yeah so, you yes so that so yeshua uh lack of a better term in my mind at the moment, kind of nukes all of that. <laughs> That's fine. He, f he fulfills all of them. Yeah, yes. fulfills. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. As a matter of fact, I have a question in my notes about that. See, he fulfilled the burnt offering because he was a male without defect who voluntarily gave his life to be completely consumed as atonement for sin. Uh, he fulfilled the grain offering because he was the living Torah, the bread of life provided by God. Um, he was a peace offering because it's through him that we have peace and fellowship with God. Uh, he fulfilled the sin offering as he was above and beyond the required sacrifice for the nation. Uh, obviously, the Son of God was even more valuable than a bull. 
And uh, he was the guilt offering because he paid the price for our sin, proper value in silver by the sanctuary shekel. He was, he was paid for by the price of a slave. Since there will be more sacrifice in, in the future, do you suppose that only the first three will be done because they're all voluntary? The rest of them he took care of in the mandatory portion. Yeah. Well, Is that a possibility? Yeah. To the, I mean, you could argue that if, I don't have any idea how it's going to look, obviously, when we when we get to that point in time. But if people aren't sinning, then there's no reason for the sin offering. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I could go either way on that. I, I'm not that... I, I tend to stay away from that just because I can't ever tell, you know, what the answer is. <laughs> Another alternative is Israel is the, the priestly nation, and they may not be doing those things, but the nations are. That's a good point. Yep. So it's hard, yeah. Certainly at some point sin will be gone. But I'm not sure when. I'm not sure the, the, in the heavenly temple, I don't think we'll be doing the sin offerings. Well, we were talking about this on uh, Shabbat when we were going through the revelation about mm -hmm. Uh, the end of the millennial period when Satan is released and deceives the nations once again and kind of a that's uh, my point yeah so yeah. we don't really know what uh, I mean it, is it, there going to be he's going to deceive somebody somebody's going to be in sin yeah, yeah. there's going to be those nations that get no rain because they don't go up on Sukkot and things like that that, that looks like sin to me so I don't know yeah I don't understand why um, Yeshua had to come and suffer and all of that because nothing has changed. We're still sinners. Um, mm -hmm. We're still doing, I mean, I don't understand. Couldn't God find like a more peaceful way? And he came and he died and he suffered so much and nothing has changed. Well. Um, I can think of several things to say. I wouldn't necessarily call them, call them answers. But the thing that Yeshua did a whole bunch of things by coming. The chief thing that he did is he paid the sin, the price of the sin that mankind had committed. Specifically, uh, the northern kingdom. They were divorced. They couldn't come back because they had lost the right, as John would say, to come back. By paying that sin, they now have the right to come back, to be uh, restored and reconciled with God. They have to do that, but they have the right to do that now. They have the ability to do that. They can do it before they couldn't even do it. So by him doing that, he, he performed a single act that enabled us to be restored and reconciled to him. So yes, it doesn't look like things changed, but things have changed because without that, we couldn't be reconciled to him. I have no idea what the world would look like. But the whole point of all of this plan was so that he could do that, so that we could choose to be reconciled to him. I don't know if 
that explains it or not. He did other things too. I mean, he demonstrated what it looks like to live by the Torah. You know, he did that. He showed us what true love is like. He showed us that, you know, greater love has no man for another than that he's giving his life for him. He didn't have to die. He did it because he knew that that was necessary to bring about God's plan. So from today's perspective, from this point in time, it doesn't look like he did anything. But what he did was enable us to be restored to God. And without that, we couldn't. No, he did. Like he was the greatest Messiah, mm -hmm. but it did not change anything like for long term. Well, no, it did for long term. You know, like we're still sinning, we're still killing each other, we're yep. still horrible people. And that is why Jewish people cannot accept the Messiah because it's supposed to make everything so much better for everyone. That's a struggle. Like I, I, I hear what you're saying. And my, my only answer to that is he did. We don't see it yet because he's, God is giving mankind time to realize what he's done. I mean, I admit what you say is true. Certainly, if you look at the past 2,000 years worth of history, it's not any better. But there are a bunch of people out there that can be reconciled to God and are being reconciled to God that would not have been able to be so had he not come. That's, that's my opinion. So then, when he came and fulfilled, like, the Passover feast, like that that was on the appointed times, the calendar, we've seen that happen, right? So he's fulfilled the first spring uh, appointed times. And then now we're in the interim between that time and then the fall feast. And so he will return and like all the feasts are there to, to show us what he was going to do. So we have the ability to see that he fulfilled part of it and that we're still in the interim for him to, to fulfill the fall ones now. And each one is very specific and it's, it's actually really exciting. So, you know, I'm sure as we continue to keep the feast because they're all rehearsals so that we can see him who, for, be prepared, right? And see him for who he is. So those who, like, even when they were singing the Psalms, during the during Passover and everything that happened, they were they all like Psalm 113 through 118. If you read through those, they sung those, right? And so when he was coming into the gates, they were on the other side coming in doing their normal singing, and he came in and, and all of them witnessed what was going on. And so the Pharisees were not happy hearing those things sung to Messiah, right? And so that goes back to the sedition that when we start looking at it that it was very intentional that there was an already uh, a co-opting of of the truth at that point and we still continue in that today and so those are the things we have to expose and then part of it is from Ephesians we're becoming the mature man to the full measure of the statue of Yahusha so we're still from children to adulthood coming into that place. And so maybe we're at a place of leaving adolescence right now, where we're kind of in and out of this maturation period, but we will come to that full adulthood of, of comprehension and preparedness for his return in the fall, in the fall. It, yep, 
I, you're right. It's, I, but I don't blame you for your point of view because it doesn't look like anything's changed. But it, it has, and I think it's coming pretty soon. I mean, I think, I think it'll be real obvious to you pretty soon, to all of us. We'll see. You, don't, so, you won't read about it in the newspapers. And so the more that you seek this, right, that's like she said, it's very valid. So we keep asking him, like continue to reveal because we can't know anything unless he reveals. And so part of the purpose of what he did come for too is he came in to provide the covenant, right? And his, the government is increasing. His government is increasing. So in, for instance, these last 2,000 years, his... Our, our ability to comprehend him, his government and what he's done in this covenant has continued to increase, even though as individuals, we still have to go through that whole process to come to understand it. So you're still in that process, right? And that you continue to have to hunger and thirst for righteousness and seek after him with all your whole heart. And then he will continue to grow you. And then to, to look also as a people, we're also doing that growth. And so... Part of um, what, like for instance, our prayers, I feel like has been kept for now, is the understanding that the, the whole thing is judicial, and his coming and his paying this price and everything that he set up was all you know, not law, teaching, statutes, commandments, because they are his law, and that we actually can stand on it, and his blood as the advocate gave us standing before the judge and that we can now take possession of the things he wants us to because we understand that. And as we continue to grow in that, we use his laws to take back the things that have been, you know, become lawless or has got, gone over into what the enemy has done, therefore to accuse us and then keep us in that bondage that looks like there's nothing. And we've looked maybe somewhat powerless but we continue to actually have expanded, right, where the, um, the scriptures were put into a form that everyone could read. I mean, that was a huge battle that they had to go through, right? First of all, just being killed or being persecuted for passing on the word, and then they had to get to the place where some went out to actually put it in writing, and they had to win those battles. And then a lot of other battles in the process, but we even we have battles now even to keep the internet. But we have an ability, like from what Daniel says, to grow because of the amount of information and knowledge that would increase as the end times come. So, but there's a battle over it. And then it's our ability to pray through it as well as use his word and then, you know, just stand up for what's right when we see the things that are going wrong. And so that takes maturation, too. It takes our understanding of his word. And so the thing is, is that his grace is there, totally there. Because before, it was harder to understand the word, to get the word in their own hands, to read it, to learn and study, to actually know the words, right? Because education wasn't available, especially to women, but everybody had a lower level of ability to comprehend his word. They had to rely on other people, but all this has grown. It's totally accessible to us. So in a sense, we're more responsible, right, to him who much is given, much is required. So for us, especially in our country, much is given to us. So we have so much opportunity, and, but that we need that grace yep. because there's so much we don't understand. So, yeah, so smile. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry if it's like... <laughs> it's like a little bit of a garden hose there, but that's all right, fire hose. 
John. So, so back to the a question about why is there still sin and, and what did Yeshua do? I would say he gave us the right of Korban, the right to draw near. Here's the thing. If we don't act on that right, yeah. things are going to go south. Yep. And, and what has the church done, just to pick on them, for example? Sure. Most of their, of their existence has been to be against this stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, that to me is the beauty of God. Is he knew that, and he said, I don't care. You guys can goof this up for 2,000 years. When it's time for me to do my thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my people how to draw near. Right. Yeah. Margaret's got something. Well, you go ahead. You're doing them in the proper order. I'm trusting you to know what you're doing. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I just want to shortly respond to uh, the sister's observation, because I, too, sometimes have wondered, you know, like uh, she mentioned, uh, couldn't he have done it in a, in a, you know, not have... Yeshua go to the cross, you know, yeah. in a more, I think you said, more peaceful way or something. Yeah. But uh, even he prayed, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And apparently it wasn't possible. Yeah, because he but, didn't. Yep. But one thing I learned from John is that our, <laughs> our God is a just God and he follows his own Torah. Absolutely. And when, uh, when he made the covenant with Abraham, uh, he, he basically told Abraham, I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish this. Yep. He's the one that walked through the pieces. Yeah, he's the one who walked through the pieces. Yep. Abraham didn't walk through the pieces. Yep. So he's the one who performed, you know, who made all this happen. And, uh, you know, I, I think, too, a lot of times, you know, there's, there's a lot of evil in the world. Why, you know, people, there's literally people walking around who get away with murder. Yes. In this world. Yes. But as somebody, a, a believer... In Yahweh, I know you don't get away with murder. You know, the day of reckoning is coming. Coming. You know, everybody will have to stand before the judgment seat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know why he, you know, he does it the way he does. I just know he does. So. Yep. <laughs> That's fine. I agree. Mark's, oh, it was Margaret's turn. You're right. I think through time, though, there's been that remnant. Yes, always. That remnant, and it, it, was, a few, it was a few people, and, and somehow the remnant, remnant is a little piece mm -hmm. of a big picture, mm -hmm. like a little piece of the puzzle, a little piece of fabric to do something great. Yeah, well, go so ahead, I'm sorry. So that's what we've had, and, and I think the, there's a building of, there's a building of the assembly, the, uh, mm -hmm. the end time assembly. His, yep, his people. Yeah, his uh, people. Being and, reconstituted. And the building of it is, like John said, drawing near. If you yeah. draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Yeah. There's a lot of bad in the earth, but there's also a lot of good. Yeah. And you can see it. If you, know, you look. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, to me, uh, the existence of the scriptures and the Jews are the biggest testimony to the existence of God there is. Because <laughs> they shouldn't be here. Neither of these should be here. Because there's, there's been no end of effort. Every generation had its people trying to get rid of them. Yeah. 
So it does come back to what Mike said. It's, it's the promises God promised. So he promised Abraham that he would bring all of his children to the land. Yep. Well, if he cut off, because it says here they've got to be cut off. We just mm-hmm. read it, mm-hmm. that if they, if they willfully do these things, which idolatry against him and set up your own things, they turned their back on God. They forgot him. So they had to be cut off. Well, when they got the divorce, they were cut off. But in order to fulfill his promise to Abraham to bring them back, there's, a, there's only one way you can do that, and it's the blood of the one who wrote the, death, the, the divorce certificate. He has to be the one that brings about the restitution. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does all make sense. I'm very glad you asked the question. Well, I've done it again. We're at this wonderful place that it's too much to start over. We'll, we'll, do our, we'll start here, but um, we won't go very far. Would somebody please read from chapter 6, verse 8 through 13? (laughs) It's just a few verses. And Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the Torah of the burnt offering. This is the burnt offering, because it is burned on the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar is kept burning on it. And the Kohen shall put on his linen garment, and put his linen trousers on his body, and shall take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire has consumed on the altar, and shall put them beside the altar. And he shall take off his garments, and put on other garments, and shall bring the ashes outside the camp to a clean pace. And the fire on the altar is kept burning on it. It is not put out. And the Kohen shall burn wood on it every morning and arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire is continually kept burning on the altar. It is not put out. Okay. Um, Do you have something, Mark? Go ahead. So that's a lot of wood, just real quick. You know. Fair point, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the fire doesn't go out, burning continually, night and day. And so when an offering is to be burnt, they're just going to lay it over on the fire that's already burning. Yep. It's, they don't put it out to put the new stuff on. It's, it's still burning. So you've got to have instruments to get close enough to lay the stuff on it because if you get... In some of the pictures you see, that one altar in Solomon's temple was a pretty big altar. It was a big fire. And you get too close, I mean, the, the hair on my arm gets singed real quick. So it probably had some things to, to, to get it out there. Uh, but this, it, it reminds me of another fire that Scripture says continually burns in the end time. That took, it, it's going to take how long to, for it to go out? Something like seven months or seven years, or I forget the number. I was looking at this, trying to find the scripture. But this, this is pretty amazing. This fire just, just keeps going. Keeps burning, yeah. That's interesting. One of the things I was going to point out here is that, I, again, my nearly inspired, inspired version has uh, paragraph headings. And verse chapter 6, verse 8 says the burnt offering. 
Wow, geez, that seems kind of familiar. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the uh, first chapter of Leviticus, um, it's got the same exact thing. It says the burnt offering. So what are we going to do? And if you look, there's one down there, the grain offering. They're going to go through all these things again. What's the difference? Why are we going through these same five offerings again? And you find out that in, if you go back to chapter 1, it says, Yahweh called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them. Okay, if you go to chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Yahweh said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons this command. So the first, this was all for everybody. Okay, we're going to go through all of them again, but these are the instructions just for Aaron and his sons. Okay, so we've learned what the, what the offerings are for all of Israel. Now we're going to learn how the priests, Aaron and his sons, do their job. What's, what, they, what they're responsible for. And, and this little passage here, for example, says they're responsible for keeping that fire burning day and night, right? Um, what else it says? The priest shall, oh, he's got a, this is interesting. Um, he, the priest is dressed in his appropriate clothing. Uh, the burnt offering is to remain on the altar throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. Verse 10 says, the priest shall then put, his, put on his linen clothes, with linen undergarments next to his body, and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off those clothes and put on others and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. The fire on the, cam on, the, fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat on the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. So why does the priest have to change his clothes? Beg your pardon? I didn't hear what you said. Soot. Yeah, okay. That, that's the ultimate reason. But yeah, go ahead. So in correction, it wasn't uh, 717. What I was thinking about was the lake of fire, which he says continually burns forever and ever. Yeah, that's what I, I thought you were going for that one. You got something? Oh, he already answered. It was just uh, so they didn't ruin the priest. Yeah, so, well, it, it is that. It is that, but the, the issue is Would those... Would the go. anointed oil ignite on the garments? If they... <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's a possibility. It's got to do with the clean and the unclean. Uh, the, the priest is not going to go outside the, the, the compound, if you will, outside the tabernacle in his... Uh, clean, sacred garments. So he takes those off, puts off street clothes, if you will, and goes and takes the ashes out somewhere outside and then comes back. Well, the Bible does also speak about another fire that burns continually besides the lake of fire, and that is our, our God himself. Well, that's a good point. Yep. So it's like, it's, a, I think the... Um, the dual symbolism there is that I think the lake of fire is powered by God on the one yep. hand. No, I would buy that. And two, that because he is the all-consuming fire and is eternity, that that, that uh, fire is the uh, medium to transform or to uh, purify that it's 
him that's doing the purifying okay. ultimately and doing all the uh, the real work of sanctification, not we doing that. That makes good work. sense. We're just providing the fuel. We're going through the, the motions, if you will. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. If there isn't anything else, I think I'll close. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for the evening. I thank you for your Torah. I thank you for these things that are a little bit difficult, but uh, it's, uh, it's just great that you bring them to our attention and you allow us to learn from your word. And I'd ask that you just keep us thinking on these things. Keep these things running around in our mind and sitting in our hearts and help us to uh, just come to a better understanding of, of you, of how much you love us, how you want us to behave, the things you want us to know, how you want us to treat each other. Keep us safe until we meet together next week. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you guys soon.